This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we're going to talk about Lower Decks Season 2 with some help from some of its stars. Tony did an interview. He talked to a bunch of them. Uh, but first, we're going to dig into the very big news of the week, which is all about Alex Kurtzman's contract being extended, which has big a big impact on Star Trek's future as well. So, Tony... You're very good at just covering the quick business stuff. So can you do the the quick outline of this deal for us? Because I like context and going backwards in time always. Three years ago, Viacom CBS, or I know it's, it was just CBS back in those old days, cut a deal with Alex Kurtzman for five years. And that, that was the first time they started talking about this kind of expanded Star Trek universe. Basically, when they said, yeah, we like Discovery, now we want more. And since then, obviously, we've had Lower Decks and Picard and Prodigy and all sorts of stuff announced. He had two years left on his deal. Now Viacom CBS have locked him in for five years. It's a $160 million deal to continue to expand the Star Trek universe. And he's also doing other stuff from them. He's doing a couple things for Showtime. You know, so it's 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 a overall what they call an overall deal, and there's so much focus of the discussion about this online about Alex Kurtzman as a person. I think that is int- an interesting conversation. But what I find most interesting about this, no offense to Alex, is that this is a continued commitment and maybe even more confidence about Star Trek and Paramount Plus. Agreed. And because we've talked recently about how there's been new people involved all the people above alex essentially have left since he started way back with less moonves right years ago uh to developing discovery so this is a vote of confidence in star trek and alex from the powers that be that they want more and they want to keep the ball rolling for another five years at least with the star trek universe they seem very open to other kinds of ideas, other kinds of series, more expansion of the Star Trek universe. David Stapp, who's the head of CBS Studios, basically said, as long as you keep with the optimism of Star Trek and kind of the core beliefs, you can apply Star Trek to essentially any genre. I do like that he included, he didn't just say optimism, which is a word that gets thrown around a lot, but the general idea that humankind is good which to me is a core tenet of Star Trek. Yeah. So he says, you name the genre and there's probably a Star Trek version of it. So, I mean, obviously there's genres where you can't hold on to the general idea of humankind, but perhaps you can. I mean, like I was trying to think, you know, could you do a, a horror series? And I think you could because you know people forget the original series had a lot of horror elements. Obviously, Brandon Braga introduced lots of because he's obsessed with horror and there was a lot of horror in next generation there's some in voyager there's some on deep space nine and there's some on enterprise also there were some specifics mentioned there was an extended interview with new york times on sunday uh, with alex and others and so a few little extra tidbits were announced although announced is a strong word (laughs) Right. Well, they they were mentioned, like they mentioned that the Section 31 show is still in the works and no other real details on that, right? They announced that years ago and they've 
put that in every press release. It's all it's always a development. It will never not be in development. It is the perpetual development show. Um, and it's still in development. I mean, it may happen. I, we've been kind of um, we've talked made about fun. it. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've talked made. About I mean, it for we've, a while. Yeah, right, and we've made a little fun. I, I still think it's at best fifty fifty chance the show ever happens. But it got mentioned. They mentioned the existence of a Starfleet Academy show, which we haven't heard. You know, was talked about a long time ago. We haven't heard anything really about it for years. It's a possibility. It's sure. a pitch. They've had meetings. But I don't think they've put a writer's... I mean, I think the Section 31 shows had more work done. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the idea of a Starfleet Academy show goes back decades, to be honest. It's a solid idea. You know, it could go bad. It it would basically be a CW show, right? I think the people that, that were involved with this are the same people who've made the OC and some other... CW shows. It's a it's a tough one to do now because the the shows like that now are super sexy and there's usually murder even if it's, you know, even if it's just a show about kids in school. Like everything's super super edgy right now tonally for that audience. So I it would be hard to do a wholesome Starfleet Academy show. Yeah, I think like the Section 31 show, it's kind of a good idea until you start thinking about it. Although I will lobby again for my idea, which is a short, like a nice, I would say maybe a little movie or something. Um, Saru at Starfleet Academy. I'm dying to see that. Oh, that would be great. I've always wanted to see that since he since his second episode. They referred to the Academy and the Section 31 as, quote, in the works. Take that as you will. Then there was a pitch that Alex mentioned. It was unclear whether he was saying that they're working on this or just as an example of the kind of pitches he gets. But the guy who wrote The Trouble with Edward, which is probably our least favorite short track. I mean, I appreciate it because it was an experimental show and they were like, let's test the boundaries of comedy in Star Trek. They tested the boundaries. I think they stepped over the line. I agree. They hired great actors for it. Like they really gave it a go to, you know, to try a different tone and something different. But it, it lost that Star Trekness, I think. Right. It didn't meet the David Stapp. Right. Standard, I think. (laughs) And, um, but Graham Wagner is very accomplished uh, writer producer. You know he's worked on some of my favorite shows like Silicon, Silicon Valley, Valley, right? Yeah, yeah, The Office. And so if he's got a Star Trek pitch, which he apparently does, which is some kind of show about Worf, um, but it's a it was described as funny, poignant, and touching. Yes, which is not the show that Michael Dorn's been pitching. <laughs> No, no, this sounds like a Worf comedy. And obviously, Worf is is great for comedy. He was often mm-hmm. used for comedy. Dorn has great timing. I think, even though you don't think of him for comedy, I think he plays it well. Yeah. Um, no, so, I, think, I think the character's funny, and I think he is so charming that he could totally do it. This guy's a big workplace comedy, so it would be like a... <laughs> War, you know, so Worf is like the head of something. I mean, it could he could be the captain of a ship, but it would be more a workplace comedy thing. Maybe a little more like Lower Decks in that way, which has a lot of workplace comedy elements to it. I would also be happy with Worf at Starfleet Academy. 
<laughs> yeah, there's an idea. Yeah, because yeah. I think it work. You know, may work better. You know, if like Worf is um been grounded. You know, he's like stuck at a desk somewhere and he's like really frustrated. You know, or something. <laughs> but I think in a way, this was just saying. You know, Kurtzman was kind of putting it out there that we are thinking broadly. And I would say, like, for obviously there's a lot of discussion that can be had about his taste and his take on Star Trek and all these things. But with a lot of these different genre shows that he's looking at, he's hiring people who are experts in those genres and doing interesting things. And and it's not they don't have the same tone as the other shows. So there's room for all of this, like the Prodigy guys and Mike McMahon for Lower Decks, like they don't feel the same as those other Star Trek shows. So I think the idea of expanding into other genres doesn't mean it's all going to feel like Picard or Discovery. We're going to talk a little bit about this later. I went to an event last night. It was the premiere party for Star Trek Lower Decks season one, season two. And there was a red carpet there and Mike McMahon was there with along with some stars. And I talked to Mike about this and the way he talks about Alex is very interesting in that he's saying that Alex is super open-minded and that he was kind of shocked how open he was to his ideas. And there's very little micromanagement. And I think we see that in um, Lower Decks for sure, which is very much Mike's show. And I feel like Prodigy is going to be the same. Yeah, the Hagemans, I mean... Let's face it, the Hagemans know what they're doing with kids' animation and kids' shows. They've won Emmys at it. And uh, the sense I get is, again, that he is not in there doing stuff. He's in there doing stuff on Discovery because he's a co-showrunner. And it was the first show that kind of started all this. And he's very hands-on on that show. He still does the post-production, yeah. which is, must be driving him crazy now because he's also got Picard and Strange New Worlds all doing post production at the same time. You know, to be a a good chief overlord, you definitely need to allow different people to come in and with their own voices. I'm happy to see that Viacom CBS are like, yeah, we like Star Trek, we want more. Alex in the also said the thing he likes to say, which is the line between movies and television is gone now. There's a couple ways we could look at this. One is that because we know that Paramount Pictures has a couple Star Trek movies in development. I mean, the way he when he says television and movies, he's basically saying premium streaming content is essentially using movie technology, movie budgets, movies uh, kind of style now. Well, I mean, I think he's talking about Marvel, like Marvel is the big example of this right now. It's unclear whether he's talking about a cinematic universe, though, with the movies. That's still the big question mark is, are they getting the two sides of Viacom CBS together to to truly get this into a cinematic universe you know so to wrap this up uh you know even though we've got five shows in production for star trek and other shows in the works in development on the wish list who knows um alex says i think we're just getting started there's so much more to be had mm-hmm. he called it building the foundation he said you know because he talked about marvel actually 
pushing the boundaries and says you have to build a certain foundation in order to get there. And we're still building our foundation. You know, I'm hoping we get more voices joining the chorus, more diversity of shows. I'm still curious as to what the next anchor show is. If, if you consider Discovery as the anchor show now, some show is going to replace Discovery that's going to be kind of the core show. Mm-hmm. The We're going out into space, we're exploring, you know, the, the, it's going to be the big show with the biggest budget. And I think Alex has alluded to how they're going to go somewhere, that they are going to make another show like that. And it's going to be in a different place, I think he said, which, you know, I was thinking maybe they're going to a different galaxy, but they're going to um, but I, I, that's the show I'm, you know, I'm interested if they do a horror show, if they do more comedy, but I'm also interested in what's going to be this, this, you know, mothership show. And it, I don't think it's strange new world. I mean, strange new worlds is great and it isn't going to be a callback to the classics, but I think they also want to make a kind of peak TV premium ultimate Star Trek show to follow on from discovery you know sometime in 2024 and because that's when i'm starting thinking that's when paramount's going to be putting movies into theaters again and you know maybe that's the opportunity to bring this thing all together yeah no it could be you know all access star trek will be there in 2024 (laughs) no matter what else (laughs) we're doing (laughs) all i know is life is full of surprises So I've been just saying how much I'm excited that Paramount Plus is doing great things and committing to Star Trek. And now, boom, get ready for a rant, people. Here comes a rant. They were doing so well. <laughs> they they have all the Star Trek shows, of course. They bought that documentary about Nichelle Nichols. And in July, they were up to 12 out of 13 movies, right? It was truly becoming the home of all Star Trek on Paramount Plus. And then on August 1st, Ten movies disappeared. Ten Star Trek movies disappeared. Um, they added four hundred movies, and then they, you know, but at the same time, they took away a few movies, including the ten Star Trek movies, which, which are now all but generation. So all the TOS movies and all the TNG movies, except for Generations, are now on AMC Plus, which is another streaming service. Um, generations is nowhere, and Beyond and Into Darkness are on Paramount Plus now. No one decided to do this this year. Like, they know it's bad. <laughs> but they couldn't s- stop it for whatever reason. Because there's some deal that they signed it, apparently before Viacom and CBS even remerged. Certainly before Paramount Plus became a thing. I don't know if it's if if I'm being too harsh, but I'm saying, why didn't you try to renegotiate? Why didn't you try to get out of this deal? Yeah, I don't think you're being too harsh. You're not being too harsh because it's, it, you know, they're tr- trying to sh- be the home of Star Trek and you can't be the home of Star Trek if the movies are all gone. Disney uh, renegotiated some deals before the launch of Disney Plus so that they could make sure that they get all of the Pixar and all the Marvel and all the Star Wars content as a permanent home. I mean, the Star Trek movies have moved They've they've been on every streaming service. They, yeah. they go from Hulu to Amazon. To, it's like every couple months they move to a different one. And we've been used to that for years. But with the launch of Paramount Plus, we're like, okay, now you're going to bring them all home. And because it's literally called Paramount Plus. So anyway, that's my rant. I they As I understand it, 
There was no way to get out of the deal with AMC. So off the movies go. We do know next year that Star Trek The Motion Picture is coming to Paramount Plus because they're remastering the director's edition. Right. I suspect by 2022, they'll get this sorted. It's a good argument right now for owning all of them on DVD and Blu-ray and whatever. We've just been talking about Paramount Plus in the USA. Um, A lot of our readers and listeners are outside the USA So we have some other Paramount Plus news, which is Paramount Plus is now coming to a number of countries in Europe in 2022, specifically the UK, Ireland, Italy, Germany, Switzerland, and Austria. It's going to be launching within the Sky universe of stuff. So Sky is a huge company in Europe. They're owned by Comcast. And so if you use something called Sky Q, which includes all sorts of apps, including Disney Plus, Netflix, Paramount Plus will be in that, or you could get it as an add-on, or you could just get it standalone and you won't even need to be a Sky customer. But Paramount Plus is different in every country it is in the world, and including what Star Trek content they have. Like, for example, there's Paramount Plus in Canada, but there's no Star Trek content because it's all on Crave in Canada, which is part of their deal with CTV. Right. So if you're in the UK now, you watch Discovery on Netflix, you watch Picard and Lower Decks on Amazon. (laughs) But the good news is that, (laughs) if you're a Sky customer at least, um, is Prodigy is now coming to Paramount Plus in Europe, in those countries I've mentioned. Discovery, Lower Decks, and uh, Picard will remain where they are. Things are now getting even more complicated overseas, but at least now we know where Prodigy is going to be in Europe, which is it's going to be on Paramount Plus Europe. So this is all coming, by the way, in 2022. And I also think, you know, obviously now that we're looking ahead to a, to a longer lasting Star Trek universe, hopefully when they're making these new shows, then they'll start figuring out if they can possibly have them all in the same place in the future. My guess is that as they move forward creating new shows, now that the platform has been expanded and has all these deals, it will make more sense for future shows to be located in the same place. All right, let's move on to... Just a fun little prodigy thing. Prodigy? Hello. Prodigy thing. Um, (laughs) Which is, it's funny, we were talking when we were looking at the trailer last, was that last week? Last week, we were talking about how many people does it take to fly a Starfleet vessel because the crew seemed very small on Prodigy. Um, and it's well, like- and, and their kids who've never been to Starfleet Academy. Right. Right. So, right. so, so they're kids who don't know how to fly a starship and they don't have a crew. So it turns out one of the Prodigy writers had a whole, this great Twitter thread about how many crew members it takes to run a star, a starship with lots of specific examples from across the Star Trek universe. I mean, the, you know, 90s and whatever, all before then, um, which is really fun and definitely worth worth a look. And then he concludes by saying um, that technological advancements in the Federation have made it fairly accessible to fly a Starfleet vessel with a small crew and added, not to mention any assistance you might need provided by an emergency training hologram. What he's essentially confirming is... This ship's going to be automated, like heavily automated. Yeah. And he's he's essentially like a lawyer citing 
precedence. Exactly. Going, you know, going back to Scotty automating the USS Enterprise in the 23rd century. Right. His name is Aaron Waltke. He's definitely a Star Trek fan. Clearly. Yeah, I remember a year ago, people noticed him because he had a great Twitter thread about Cetacean Ops. And this yeah. is before Cetacean Ops showed up on Lower Decks, as I mentioned. So, you know, he he's he's a Trek nerd. And they've obviously thought these things through in the writer's room. You, you know, this may be a kid's show, but there's some real Star Trek fans working on it. And they've definitely put some thought into this. And we'll put up a link to that thread because it is fun. I just, all the examples he gives are terrific. So well, I recommend just having a fun look through his Twitter feed in general, and we'll link you to that. The latest news on Discovery is that we just have more actors wrapping up. So it's definitely like a piecemeal wrap. It's not everybody at the same time. So David Ajala, one of my favorites, uh, posted some photos just as he wrapped. Uh, Patrick Quactoon also did the same thing. We know Anthony Rapp's done because he told us that. I think they're done, except for pickup shots. Michelle Paradise, who tweeted out that they were done writing the season. She tweeted out when they started shooting the season, but she hasn't done a we're all wrapped. She did send out a tweet over the weekend about how she's working on post-production and she just did a, saw the cut for episode two, um, which would be the sound edit cut. Uh, I don't think they've got music or um, all the visual effects. And she said they're editing out of order. She was clear about that. Maybe there's just like one thing to do with Sinequa or something, but they are like 99% done. I think with Doug too, right? They needed Doug last week, I think. I'm not sure if they still need Doug. But they are very close to done, and we just haven't gotten the official thing. Maybe we never will. Maybe it'll just become apparent that they're done. Yeah, we think it's gonna yeah, we think it's gonna happen really soon, but we'll see. And it's definitely not all one big go. So Right. Strange New Worlds is done. I think they're mostly done on season two of Picard, but there's a big question mark with you know if they're just rolling into shooting season three because apparently they're doing them back to back. But I don't know if they're doing them like exactly back to back. Right. So that's it for the new shows. Although there's you know uh, Robbie McNeil still out there lobbying for Captain Proton. <laughs> I, I guess he read the New York Times article. Yeah. Um, about <laughs> Alex taking pitches. I mean, we know he pitched to Alex. You know, to Secret Hideout. Um, and he's still pitching now using Twitter to pitch, which again tells us that he hasn't, you know, reeled him in yet. One of those tweets, he tagged all of his Voyager co-stars and Alex Kurtzman. So, you know, <laughs> and, you know, some of them have their ins these days. So <laughs> Jerry Ryan and Kate Mulgrew primarily. So well, well and him, Tom yeah. Paris and as, him, a, but as not, a plate. Yes, but not as I mean, not as much as the other two. Well, they want more of him. It's just that he's not available. They right. want him to direct and yeah, to do. star. Yep. So um, in Picard. So well, to guest star, not to star. And the new star of Star Trek Picard is Robert Duncan McNeil. Um. <laughs> <laughs> playing Patrick Stewart, playing John Luke Picard. Right. It's it's very right. meta. Um, <laughs> okay, so we mentioned the Vegas convention. If you're subscribing to the trekmovie.com podcast network feed then you definitely get 
the shuttle pod podcast the original trekmovie.com podcast the og and there's already a podcast out there from the shuttle right. pod that will tell you a whole bunch of stuff about what's coming up with the las vegas convention and has a special guest chase masterson from deep space nine on it the big news is they're now requiring you to be fully vaccinated or have a negative COVID test to go, which is, I think, for everyone go- who was already going and was vaccinated, just a big sigh of relief. I know I have. Oh, yeah. I feel so much better about that. So and that they're going to they're going to have testing on site. And if you show up and you've had your negative test and you stick around for the whole thing, you're going to get a retest. So I I think all that is great and it makes me feel a lot better about going, although I'm already excited about going. So check out the shuttle pod for more of our full on preview. One last follow up. Last week we talked about LeVar Burton doing Jeopardy. We'd both seen a couple episodes when we recorded last. He finished his week. I think he got much better, much looser by the end. I think he was doing really well, but it looks like it looks like Sony are probably going to hire Mike Richards, who was uh, is an executive producer on the show. He was the second guest host, I think. And, you know, he's a game show veteran who's hosted lots of game shows. And he's basically got the inside track. I was going to say, like, another, I hate to say it, but I'm just going to say it. Another white guy on the inside. I mean, sorry, but come on. This isn't for final... You know, so it's not over for Lavar, but it's looking like it's, it's over. Looking, for yeah, I was going to say, I I think it's over. <laughs> so, and he, you know, he's uh, he's I I just saw a little soundbite from him saying that basically he what he wanted was to have the chance to compete to get it, and he got that, and he's happy about it. All right, now let's get to our lower decks talk because we have some brand new interviews to share. We have lots of opinions about them. So I think we should just dig. I mean, there's been some other stuff. So there have been some new promos and clips coming out. There are character promos out there for Tendi and Rutherford. As of this recording, they're releasing new ones every few days. So obviously the four lower deckers are going to get promos. I suspect they'll do them for the other characters as well. Um, and then before, oh, before we get into the interviews, though, I want to hear about the, the block party that you went to last night. This was their first Paramount Plus event that I've been to, well, or, you know, or CBS event for quite a while. I think this is the first thing they've done since the premiere of Picard. Everything's been virtual. Instead of doing things at the Cinerama Dome, which has its own issues right now, uh, this was done outdoors. It was a smaller thing. So they, the invite list was much smaller. Usually those events have lots of, just general Hollywood people, lots of Star Trek veterans, you know, John Billingsley and the like showing up. This time it was, it, it was the cast, it, Mike McMahon, almost the entire cast were there and just other people who work on the show and a small handful of press, like very small. So what was the setup like? It was at the um, CBS Studios in Studio City, uh, where Jerry shoots the talk. <laughs> uh, so it was easy for him to get there, I guess. Was his wife there? Did she come? No. No, no. I had questions me. ready for Rebecca. I did ask <laughs> him some questions about Rebecca. They set up this outdoor area with couches, 
very just everything was super casual about it. The red carpet portion was super casual. I had like nice five minute chats with the with everyone, ten minutes, and uh, but just in general, the vibe was super relaxed, super chill. Uh, they had food trucks that were kind of um, built into these little holodeck enclosures. Everything was Star Trek themed. There was a photo section. There was a a claw machine where you could get t-shirts oh did you get me a t-shirt i did did you yes <gasps> so no i had a really good time i was there with uh christine who's our social media manager and she had a great time but like she's been to a lot of these things where they often invite all of her cosplaying pals like the la cosplay team because they love to have all those cosplayers out in front of the theaters when they do their premieres because they make for great photos um you know, but they this, again, they, because of the world we live in, this is baby steps back into in-person events. This was small, low-key, a lot of fun, and just generally very relaxed. And you know, and they showed two episodes on a big screen outdoors. I had some good discussions with a lot of the cast and crew. In a way, I'm still processing all of that. So the interviews we're going to run now are things I did earlier in the week an online junket essentially with other members of the press. So some of these will be based on my questions. Some will be from other outlets, um, but there's going to be more interviews on trekmovie.com from this event that I just went to, including a, a good one from Mike. Yeah. Just tell me what, tell me one thing Mike told you. I asked him about Alex's new deal and how he's taking crazy pitches. And Mike revealed that he has pitched other Star Trek shows to, Alex. Cool. You wouldn't say what? <laughs> of course he wouldn't. Comedies, I assume. Yeah, he wouldn't say if, if if they're in the works, but he did pivot back to say that his focus and his true passion is Lower Decks. He sees it going for many years. Oh, cool. Um, he, he has thoughts about that, and he talks a little bit about season three and how season three is different than season two and where he sees things going after season three. So yeah, he, he kind of said he wants to see it go seven seasons and then do an eighth season. Which is where it all started for him anyway, was the mythical eighth season. Right. He brought that up. He's like, I want to do the, the TNG season eight for Lower Decks. You know, and, and, and I haven't met a lot of these people in person before and they were all great. And one thing about Jerry, Jerry's like so he he's the best ambassador for this show, just the way he talks about it. I mean, they all are, but this there's, there's something about his enthusiasm. And after the event was over, I was like um, in line at the at the bar, uh, and did they have Star Trek themed cocktails? Yes, they did. Nice. Is, I think we put a picture on the. Um, there was, was the there Sumerian there was, sunset. I don't know if there was. Oh. I actually didn't have any uh, alcohol. I was driving. Yeah. But he like came over, tapped me on the shoulder and he said, I just want to, you know, say hi. And then he said, Oh no, I already talked to you. And he, what I read, what he saw is he was going around to literally everyone to greet everyone personally. He wanted to make sure he spoke to everyone who was there. This is kind of the guy he is, I guess. We should get him on the podcast. That would be great. That would be great. We could talk about sliders. Yes, I did get to talk to him a little bit about Slider? Strange New Worlds oh. and Rebecca and what it's like having them all there. Uh, but he didn't reveal any Strange New World spoilers. So 
Yeah. Well, he knows who where's where his paycheck comes from. That is definitely the the corporate line is say nothing ever. But we did get some good stuff out. In fact, some of which we're going to dive into right now. Um, there were two of these group interviews. Uh, they paired up Tawny Newsom and Jack Quaid, Mariner and Boimler, and then they did a second group with Eugene Cadero and Noel Wells, Rutherford and Tendi. So starting with Tawny and Jack, one of the first questions, uh, which I believe was your question, um, was to ask sort of how the show has changed from season one to season two, and it turned out they'd just actually been talking about it themselves. So here's what they said. For the show overall, Jack and I were actually just texting about this. We just watched episodes one through five, and, or two, yeah, one through five of season two. And we feel like the show is so, it was confident last year, but this year it's just like, it's so sure of itself. It's so sure of its sense of humor. I feel like all of us, all the performances, all the writing were like, yes, we know this is funny. We know this is great Star Trek. And there's no, there's like zero apologies for it. Zero Fs given. And I love it. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I I love it too. And it's just, yeah, not that we weren't confident last season, like you said, but this season, we got all the setup out of the way. You know, we don't have to set up the world and the ship and all that. You know these characters and we just take you to insane places. And for, for Boimler this season, he's he's still on the Titan. Um, you know, the Titan is a really important ship, whereas the Cerritos isn't as much uh to starfleet so the titan is going on high stakes missions uh we're fighting the packlets and uh boimler is a little bit out of his depth uh this season you know he's a, he's book smart he's not really that great on uh he's not really that great thinking on his feet and that's something he has to do a lot in the titan so there's a little bit of be careful what you wish for happening we talked about this picking up on what jack just said the last podcast is yeah we could definitely see there's something going on with Boimler on the Titan that it's it's pushing his limits and maybe <laughs> yeah. pushing him over his li- limits for sure. We're going to see how that plays out because we know obviously they're going to get all back together again because yes, they, they can't are. they can't do two shows. So when he says he's on the Titan, he's talking about how the season starts obviously. Right. But I like what they say about like the show being more confident. I mean, as Boimler gets less confident, but the show itself is more confident and feels like, okay, we don't have to prove ourselves anymore. And we don't have to prove that we're Star Trek anymore. Is their feeling approaching? And actually, this is something Mike talked about as well, about how he feels like they no longer need to do any setups or explain anything. And that they, as they go further and further into season two and season three, that, you know, they're, they're trusting that the audience understands a lot of the basics and that they don't need to do any exposition anymore, really, about a lot of Star Trek stuff. I like that, that they're they are trusting the audience and themselves. You know, there's kind of no apologies. They're, they are what they are, and they're doing what they're doing, and they're leaning and, into it. Right, and you like it or you don't. And if you don't like it, don't watch it. But there, you know, but there are plenty of us who do. So let's run another clip. Uh, this time... This is a fun one with um, with Tawny Newsom, just talking about how people have a whole lot of theories about Mariner's past. 
I know everyone wants to know, like, was Mariner a... I've seen all the theories, okay? I'm just going to say them. Was Mariner a child on the Enterprise? Is Mariner a time traveler? Is Mariner <laughs> in, like, you know, some secret... I, I don't know. There's all these things of, like, where... Why has Mariner been all these places and worked with all these people? How old is she? Is she 1,000? Is she 25, like the rest of them? Uh, and the answer is, like, I'm not going to tell you. And some of it's because I don't know. And some of it's because we reveal a little bit in the season. So it'll be delightful when you find out. But... Look, you're just you're in it for the long haul with her. Okay, she's not gonna tell you all her shit up front. She's just not like the show or the character. So you just gotta keep watching. <laughs> I mean, that was quite a tease because she doesn't really tell us anything. I know, but it's a fun. It's a fun bite, and it shows how much they're paying attention. Yeah. Now I asked her last night what was her favorite theory, and she said her favorite theory is that Mariner is a time traveler. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't heard a lot of these theories, but I like them. But we talked about this last year because, you know, as these things came out where she says, oh, I was on this ship or I was promoted. I think I brought up the thing of how old is she? Yeah. Yep. I mean, we also know she obviously grew up on starships, too. So there is that. But yeah, there's there are a lot of questions out there. And I'm glad she's out there looking at all of them. (laughs) I feel like we will be discovering more and more. From one season to the next. Right. They, they definitely don't want to reveal everything all at once. So the next question was about how much Tawny and Jack know or get the in-jokes on the show. Right. All the Star Trek references and Easter eggs and all of those things. Man, I feel like Tawny knows more of them than, than I do. I'm, I'm kind of a burgeoning... I, I, I know more than I did when I first got this job, but I am... Still learning, definitely. Uh, Tani just taught me what trills and symbionts were, so that was a, that was a whole that was a whole day. I did uh, really geek out for a long time telling him, and most people like their eyes kind of glaze over when you start going in on like trills and the difference between the joined and unjoined trills. But Jack was right there; he was engaged. Either. No, no, no. Um, I will say there is a, an in joke that I watched uh, when we watched. Uh, uh, we weren't together. We were in separate places and there's a pandemic. But um, Why are you hedging uh, like we're having an know. affair? This is so happened. weird. Listen, You don't have to tell them we're in separate places. It's fine. I just, listen, because it seemed like, anyway, so I was watching, uh, I think, 203, and there was a little Easter egg in there that I was like, ooh, ooh, I know what that is. And I I, I was so proud of myself that I, that I spotted it. Um, it's for, for, you know, uh, an average Trek fan. I think they'd be like, yeah, of course we would get that. But um, I'm definitely learning. But I think more go over my head than Tani's. Or Tani. But Mike still does. Mike and the writer still do surprise me. Or there's some things that I have like a vague memory and I'm like, is this the guy who? And Mike's like, no, this is a different person. There is one thing. I can't tell you what it is. It's not so much an Easter egg as it is a blatant like mention of a of a legacy character. It's just a it's a passing mention that Mike had written a joke in that I in the booth I was like I feel like this joke kind of doesn't work because of this thing that I remember about this character. But oh whatever. And I read it. We recorded it. And then I went home and texted him in the middle of the night. And I was like, that joke. You can't use that joke because this character actually this this this. And Mike was like fuck, it's fine. No one cares about it. And it's in the episode. And I'm like, I'm told him that every reply guy tweet I get about that, I'm just tagging Mike McMahon. And I'm going to be like, talk to this man because I warned him. I knew the real, I knew the real thing. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to spend the whole season guessing what this thing is that she thinks is going to be a problem that Mike McMahon thinks is not going to be a problem. The good news is you're not because I actually know now. <laughs> 
what Yay! it is. <laughs> because I got Mike to tell me yesterday. In fact, that was because Mike retweeted our article. And as soon as he stopped to talk to me, we immediately jumped into stuff from the article. And he brought this up. And he hemmed and hawed, and eventually I pushed him. He's like, come on, just spoil it. And he's like, okay, fine. Yay! So here it is. Um, it's a reference to Odo. And it's a line about how someone should just have a single name like Odo. In the, you know, like Madonna and Cher. And Sting. They were saying this could be a person who just has one name like Odo. And Tani pointed out that Odo's not really technically his full name. And Mike said he still stands by it, even though he, he knows that, that she's correct. <laughs> a plus, A plus to her for knowing that. She's a big Deep Space Nine girl. She loves Deep Space Nine. I mean, what I love about all of this is that Tani knows this much about Star Trek. She really is a genuine fan yeah, and that's, I mean, she's the co-host of the official podcast, too, so she knows her stuff. So, of course, there was talk about the new Tamarian character, played by <laughs> Carl Tart, Kayshawn. So, and when somebody asked uh, Tawny which guest star she was very excited about, uh, that was the one she jumped on. I mean, I'm going to go with the one that we're all so excited about is Carl Tart as Kayshawn, the new security officer, the Tamarian Um if you're familiar with Carl Tart, if you're not familiar with Carl Tart, he is a incredible improviser. He's a UCB guy that I know through doing a lot of like improv podcasts, like Comedy Bang Bang and Spontaneous Nation with Paula Tompkins. I just like fell in love with Carl's silly, goofy on stage presence and his on mic presence and all those podcasts. And to have this character, I, I think it is the perfect pairing of voice with Alien because the Temerians, as we know, they speak in these metaphors comes from this incredibly critically acclaimed episode of TNG that's like, it's just like walking Shakespeare. Paul Winfield was incredible in the role. And to have a goofy weirdo like Carl, just a goofy dude saying these, uh, I think it's perfect. And it's, I think it's an exact uh, example of what Lower Decks does so well. It takes the thing we all love. It puts a weirdo behind the mic to bring it to life and expose what's kind of funny about it. So I, I'm so excited for Carl to join the world. Kayshawn is a really interesting character, and now I'm even more interested him in him because it surprised me that she mentioned Carl because I was thinking she was going to talk about because the question was about guest stars and um, for the season, and I thought she might talk about Robbie or Frakes or you know something like that, but she brought in Carl. I mean, she knows Carl obviously, and Mike talked about this in the comic-con panel about how much fun it is to write this character i think it's a genius move to find comedy in an iconic you know the the temerians are so iconic and the show as tawny points out is is able to take something like that and turn it around but still be respectful obviously but because there's clearly opportunities for humor with people who speak in metaphors Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so many challenges there. So comedy's the right way to go. I mean, we've talked about the challenge of sustainability for a character like that. But I love she says it's like walking Shakespeare. I mean, it's just I mean, she says the TNG episode is. But there are a lot of opportunities there. And I think it'll be I'm really looking forward to hearing that character because I feel like you could just do a show just about that guy. 
Okay, the last question was another one of mine, and I just wanted to know how things were going with season three, because I know that Tawny and Jack really like working together like they did in season one, but we knew they couldn't do that at all in season two due to the, you know, whole pandemic thing. And so I asked him, you know, are they getting a chance to work together in season three, which is being recorded now? Because of the pandemic, we weren't able to record together season two, which was such a shame because, you know, I, I love being in the booth with you. It's like my favorite thing. Um, what was okay about it for me, though, was I think watching the show, you don't really notice it because I think we had so much time in the booth together in season one that we kind of know more or less what the other person's bringing to the table without them actually being there. But um, as of now, we haven't recorded together for season three, but it's possible. I'd love to do it, you know, once, once I'm back in town. I know. I think our problem is not even COVID. It's just that Jack and I are always working on opposite sides of Canada for some reason. Yeah. Like we both go to Canada like the same day, but I'm in Vancouver and he's in Toronto. So we can never get together <laughs> and productions frown on you flying to meet in the middle to go have an ice cream. Um, like I suggested, but um, amazing. <laughs> I was like, do you think the COVID person on your show would be mad if we just like met up in Calgary and we're like, yeah, they would all be very yeah, mad. Yeah, sure. um, <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah, so I think that everyone just working keeps us apart. But I do think, again, like I mentioned, like Mike and I have formed such a friendship. Jack, Jack and I have formed such a friendship. And Eugene and I have worked together for years doing improv with uh, Paul F. Tompkins and like uh, a bunch of other people, again, like podcasting improv and stuff. And Noelle does so much voice work. Like Noelle is such a voice work pro. And all of our cast, Dawn too, it, I feel like it's just gotten into a groove where Mike knows how to write for us and we almost know how to play off of each other when yeah. we're not there. Like I know how Jack is going to deliver a certain line when I read it now. So I, I feel like it it has the feeling of being together. If that's not the most COVID shit, I don't know what is. It feels yeah. like we're all together just because we've, yeah, we've like listened to each other's voices so much. We've had a couple of uh, melancholic sort of like Zoom evenings, you, me, and Mike, just like during COVID, just with a glass of wine, just Zooming. Yeah. How are you guys doing? Hey, nice to hold Hey. Up. Yeah, I miss you. I know. It's been very well, hopefully weird. Hopefully we'll get back in the booth soon because it's together because it's my literal favorite thing. Yeah. So while I, I was hoping that they were working together, she sold me on the idea that they almost don't need to anymore, even though they clearly want to do it. Yeah, he says it's like his favorite thing to do in the world. They all know each other's voices so well that she can hear him as she's doing it. And Mike, I think the other thing that Tawny's talked about is that Mike has really got to know them so well now that they can write for these actors really well. The only thing you may mix miss is any kind of spontaneous improv between the two of them. Right. In general, animated shows are all recorded this way uh, where people are never together. So it's kind of rare where they do get to do that kind of playing off each other. Let's move on to Eugene and Noel. And let's start with kind of where we did with the other two. This time talking more, not about what's different in general for the season, but what's different for their characters in specific. For season two? Um, I mean, the biggest development for me is that uh, we took away some development and then we added it back in. So, uh, my biggest development for Rutherford was finding out what he doesn't know, finding out some new information, um, and then like 
trusting what he does know from the past, you know, now that he has uh, some of that information again. So um, I think there's like a weird mix of growth in certain ways as a friend definitely grew, but um, as himself, just getting, finding out new things about himself that he didn't know um, in season one even uh, is, is some uh, character development that you will see as the season uh, keeps going. I think for my character in the first season, Tindy's very wide-eyed. She's soaking up everything like a sponge. She is a bit naive. And I think in the second season, she maybe has her bubble burst a couple times, but because of that, she gets to sort of take herself to the next level. And you see her pushing back a little bit more, having a little bit more agency and not only like taking more risks, but standing up for herself. Um, so it looks like for Rutherford, he's actually rebuilding himself. <laughs> Whereas Tendi, I think is he's, he's almost rebuilding and starting again. It sounds like she's growing and actually getting, you know, stronger, more aggressive, which, which will be good. I love her relentless. I love both of them, their relentless optimism and cheerfulness, but it'll be good to see them stretch a little bit and do something. I never want to see either of them lose their crazy enthusiasm. No. I mean, you need that with, I mean, because Mariner's the most jaded person in the galaxy and she, you know, that you need, definitely need the other side of that. You know, this is a big question as we go forward, season two, season three. I mean, I think definitely in season two, they still seem to be their great, enthusiastic, wide-eyed, optimistic selves, even though they're growing and learning, uh, you know, can they keep that going, you know, as they continue on for three, four years? I I hope we never see a jaded Tandy. Yeah, no, I don't want to. I love, I think it's a beautiful character, the way that she is. So uh, there's also the Rutherford Tendy relationship. Um, and someone asked Eugene specifically about, you know, is that, is that a love affair that's going to happen? What's, the, what's the deal? with those two i don't know i mean you know i think there's you know a constant uh i don't know if it's a ross and rachel situation i mean the weird thing about them and the great thing about uh the tendy and rutherford relationship is that it is a kind of intellectual love affair they have for each other in a way that you know you uh would have with a you know a a a coworker or somebody who's just as passionate about the work as you are. And I think that happens in college a lot where you're like, Oh, we both love the same things. And then you think that you are in love, but you're ultimately just like in love with the person as what they grew up to be and, and how they continue to live their lives. So who knows, who knows what it is. Um, I think sexual tension within the cartoon is always weird. So I don't know. So I, I love that he thinks sexual tension within a cartoon is weird. Um, but the thing I like more that he said, which he brought up in such a smart way, I mean, it just felt so real, which is when you sort of think you should be in love with someone because you like doing the same things. Um, and, that, you know, I certainly can look at my own past and see some of that from way back when. So and I think that is a lot of what's happened, what has happened with those two characters is they have the same attitude and they love the same thing. And so either they're doing it or viewers are doing it, but it adds a lot of fun layers to their friendship. 
I'm not against the idea of a romantic thing with them. And I think that that was kind of hinted at in season one because Mariner yeah. and Boim, Mariner and Boimler are just friends. They're brother and sisters. It's, it's kind of, you know, I think Mariner's joked how icky it is to even think about them, you know, together. Right. It's different with Tendi and Rutherford. Let's face it. There is a thing there. We don't know if it's going to, but I wouldn't mind to see it manifested as a romance, maybe season three. Uh, because I think that that could be an interesting growth for the characters. And there's obviously can be comedy in that as well. Awkward dating, who knows, whatever. But it is great that they have this wonderful, special bond. It would be especially awkward given that they live in the same hallway. <laughs> right. Now does, that's a good, that's a good question because there is dating going on on the show. We saw that with Rutherford in episode one, well, there's always the holodeck, right? Yeah, or any sort of little closet where they keep stuff. <laughs> there's a lot of room on that ship. It's not, you know, there are options, but there's not, you know, sleepover in your cabin options. <laughs> no, no, but, you know, life finds a way, right? Always. So another question I had, uh, one of my favorite things in season one was all the different modes of rutherford's uh implant especially that one episode where he kept on going from one to another and i was curious if we were going to see more of those and i wanted to know for tendy if we're going to learn more about her orionness we got a little bit about that in season one i just wanted to know if we're going to get more in this season uh, you're going to get more modes of rutherford as like a person uh, not so much as the implant. We're not going to like go through them as much, but he's he's figuring out things for himself as well as um, what happened to him and trying to figure out those things. So we get more into Rutherford, but it's more about what he is as a person than it is about like which ways he can play. I mean, honestly, uh, when we were doing the mode stuff, that was so fun to be able to play with all of them. So um, I... Um, there was one that we did for a while that was kind of Shakespearean that I loved, which I hope comes back to a certain extent, like for a whole episode. Um, but I, uh, I doubt that will, because I think I was doing a lot of uh, yelling thou for no reason. Like it wasn't even in the script. And they're like, you don't have to say that. I'm like, I think I do. Uh, with Tendi, um, you know, I think we see her as this like very nice, naive sort of character and you just assume she doesn't you know that she's like just fresh from some really nice place like because of the way that her personality is but I do think we get to see a little bit more of what she has going on underneath her and that she has a lot more levels and though maybe her main personality is this why a bright-eyed um easily excitable, really friendly person that she, that's, she's not one-dimensional. She, she does have a backstory. She does come from a very specific place and it makes her, she has different tools of her personality that she's going to get to pull out that are kind of, I don't mean to like, you know, pigeonhole her or anything, but it's kind of hot. <laughs> it's hot when you see you're like, Whoa, we just okay. talked about, we just talked about sexual tension and then you're saying how hot she is. Well, you know what? Rutherford's hot too. And I think Rutherford that his toy, I think his toy is going to be the hottest toy you'll ever see. He do, he has like a 10 pack. Like he's like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
he's like got so he's got more muscles than like are normal (laughs) so they each start out by talking about their individual characters and then the conversation just as they move towards each other in conversation the two actors just start talking over each other which is fun um which tells us i think a lot maybe about how things are gonna go with these two that they're they might, I mean, they might pair people up with other people and stories, but I think these two are always hopefully going to get stuff to do together. Because listen to them. It's a will they or won't they, you know, in the middle of this uh, virtual junket panel. So, yeah, there's <laughs> definitely there's definitely some chemistry here. And, you know, they've created these two great characters. We both love those characters. I think the audience kind of roots for them. You know, it even comes across between the actors. So that's an interesting thing. Now, even though I was kind of hoping, yeah, you know, we're going to get this crazy mode of the implant. And Eugene basically said that they're in a way moving away from that and getting more into who he is as a person, as an engineer on the ship. And so, again, the show's growth of the characters. It shows that they're not just repeating themselves, even though as a Trek fans, we're like, I liked this thing. I, I want more do of this again, thing. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Do the thing. Yeah. It's like, you know, play the hits. And uh, it's, it's you know, it, it made me think, yeah, you know, I should want more than the hits. I wanted to see different things for Rutherford um, as well. So that's nice um, to hear. It does also sound like we're going to get a little bit more about, Tendy's backstory. Yeah, which I would like. I mean, it is the whole, the Orion thing is pretty fascinating. Because they obviously created her as an Orion and yet not what you expect from an Orion. Right. Definitely different than the other Orion that we saw recently, Osira. (sighs) I'm just coming closer to the mic to make that sound. (sighs) Since they created this character to be different than we imagined, there's, there's, there's definitely a story there. And it sounds like we're going to get some of that story in season two. Hope so. So that's, I think that's it for our interviews for this week. There's going to be more on the site, which we'll be able to talk about next week when we're reviewing episode one from season two, which both of us have already seen. Yes, we Um, have. We can't really talk about it because that breaks the rules of embargo, certainly to get into details, but in a way it was kind of what I was expecting, which is not a bad thing, which is it's just a continuation of season one. They pick up on the storylines and they just continue running that ball doing the things that we like about the show, which is it's heartwarming and it's funny and it's Star Trek. It's those three things in different combinations in each episode. And it's packed with moments and references and jokes and and I would say emotional beats. Absolutely. So we'll have a lot more about uh, the first episode, which is called Strange Energies, with our first review of season two coming up next week, which kind of brings up an interesting topic, which is this podcast launched with TrekMovie.com as a separate second podcast, ShuttlePod, right ahead of the first season of lower decks when they were going to do lower decks and straight into discovery. And we launched a second podcast so that shuttle pod crew didn't have to review every episode every week and they could do their own thing. And so this is our one year anniversary. Happy Happy anniversary, anniversary, Tony. Oh, what did you get me? 
I get you a piece of paper. <laughs> I got you more podcast episodes. <laughs> it's it's been a great year. We did twenty three weeks of reviews, and then we ended up having nothing to review for half a year, which was a daunting task. And yet, it's gone easier than I thought it would be to find things to talk about, even though there's no episode to talk about. Right. I mean, we've had some great interviews that I've really enjoyed being able to do. And look, we never run out of Star Trek things to talk about, even just in conversation. So we found good ways to get topics on the podcast. And I have to say the thing that's been, I love the interviews. I love doing the podcast. I'm always very energized after we record. But I'm so happy when I see people coming to the site or on social, just telling us like where they listen to it and how they listen to it and that they appreciate getting the news. Like knowing that there are people out there who like listening to it just makes me so happy. So thank you, listeners. Yes, it, it, it's been heartwarming. You know, this is this is my first pod. I did been guest before on podcast, but it's my first time hosting. And Same. I was, I, you know. I was nervous before doing this. I know you and I talked a lot about it before we launched. We didn't know what we were doing. Yeah, we um, talked a lot. Why are we doing this? <laughs> um, but I've I've enjoyed it. It's been a great part of my week every week to record the editing. Maybe not so much. Yeah. Um, but uh, I kind of have no, fun even doing when that we're, now too. We'll be squeezing it in when I'm just stressed and busy and whatever, and I just shut everything off, and I end up coming out of the recording energized. So to me, that's a great sign. I'm not tired when we're done. I'm like wide awake and excited and jumping around. I'm just looking forward to another year of and more of All Access Star Trek. Yes. So before we go, we're not done yet with this episode. We got to do our little Star Trek bits of the week. So what do you have, Tony? Well, mine is a about a YouTube channel, which I'm a big fan of. It's called Junk Ball. It's mostly about Star Trek, mostly about technical things about Star Trek, like the ships especially, but it's it's just really fun, and um, the hostess does a great job of having a laugh, but also giving you great details. You know, he'll do a whole episode about the Enterprise-E, um, or even one about the Enterprise-E's uh, deflector dish, <laughs> whole thing on that. Um, and his latest one is all about uh, the USS Protostar, which we know nothing about, right? But he, he, you know, he ended up doing a whole episode all about the ship from Star Trek Prodigy, which we talked about on the pod last week. So check out Junk Ball Transmission is the name of the channel and the episode all about the Protostar and links to that will be in the notes. So that sounds fun. I didn't even know about that. I'm going to go check that. Okay. So what do you got for the week? This is something from way, way back in 1986, <laughs> but it's from John Tenuto posted this on Twitter and it actually, he, he posted it on our site. He used to do stuff for our site a long time ago. He's a Star Trek expert. He's a professor, I believe a sociologist. He's in a lot of TV specials when they're talking to experts about Star Trek, but to get to the gist of this wonder that he has bestowed upon us. In April of 1986, his parents went to the Monterey Bay Aquarium on the same day that Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, was filming. And his parents, who sound hilarious and wonderful, stopped their vacation and just started filming the shooting. And it was the scene where Jillian, Dr. Jillian Taylor is giving 
the tour of the whales and explaining who they are. And Kirk and Spock are following along to learn what they can about the whales. And you can hear John's parents, like his dad goes, that's William Nimoy right there. So, you know, there he is on look at him. And like the mom is yelling cut when she thinks the intro is too long. But the fact that they just stayed, they got great shots actually uh, like nice close-ups of Nimoy and Shatner, but it's, it's like, it's just seven minutes of, it's like Star Trek nerdery combined with parents and what they're like. It's just this perfect combo and so sweet that they did it and so cool that they actually let them film it. So um, he put it on Twitter and then we'll actually link back to the article on our site where he filled in a couple of the details on it. It's an amazing piece of accidental history. They just happened to be there and there they were. So good. Honestly, the whole seven minutes. They should put this on the Paramount remaster of Star Trek IV coming out. The yeah. HD remaster. They should remaster this footage. They'd have to because it looks, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think you can because it's like old videotape. But uh, no, it'd be great because... There isn't a lot of behind the scenes on these old movies. And that's it for this week. So we will see you next week where we will be reviewing episode one, season two of Lower Decks from Las Vegas. Thank you for listening. If it's Friday, it's all access Star Trek.